You are listening to the Legendarium Blue Team. You have chosen wisely. Go to patreon.com slash legendarium to support the show. And the sad thing is this entire last couple of minutes will be painfully apparent that none of us have ever drunk or had hangovers. Yep, I'm sure. I'm sure that many of our listeners are like, you have no idea. It'll be a lot. <laughs> it'll be a, it'll be parallel to our discussions about women. And welcome to the Legendarium. This is your blue team uh, bringing this one to you guys. Um, I am Todd Wenty, your host. Uh, hopefully you're used to the idea now that we've got our two teams. We're having a lot of fun with that. Hopefully you guys are too. Today uh, we have episode 208 that is coming to you and we are going to be reviewing The Hogfather. I am so excited about this. I have been waiting for two years to be able to do The Hogfather on the podcast. So I am absolutely thrilled. Um, really looking forward to it. And we have our panelists with us. To my right, she has both of her thumbs, so obviously she has scared away the scissor man. It is Megan Smythe. Ho, ho, ho. Deeper. Ho, ho, ho. There we go. There we yeah, go. There we works. go. And he is strangely silent, so someone must have looked at him and said, Cat got your tongue. Galing, galing, galing. It's Ken Johnson. <laughs> that is so brilliant. <laughs> I got nothing. I got... I got... <laughs> Oh, oh one of my favorite oh, moments. God. I just have I have this image now of a cat walking around taking people's tugs and just cutting them out. <laughs> See, and I have an image based on my day to day. I have an image of a tiny little gnome that knows when I'm in a hurry and keeps pushing over my drink. So I have to clean it up before I leave my house, even though I'm already late. Hateful gnome. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, as you can tell, this is this is obviously going to be a little bit of a silly episode. Um, we want to get as, quick, as quickly as we t- can to uh, to what we're talking about because we're all a little bit tired. We're doing this one a little bit late in the later in the evening, and so it's very likely and, that this could get silly very quickly. And tis the season of Hogwatch, and so we're all a little. And goofy. it is the season of Hogwatch. So, uh, as far as housekeeping, most of you that have been following us for some time, you already are familiar. You can find us on Patreon. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Reddit. Um, we do have a new social media that we're going to be working with, uh, Discord. We will be making use of the voice channel. Please be patient with us. We are still working out some of the bugs, but that's going to be another place where we can interact with you. You can interact with us, and we'll have an awful lot of fun. Um, and a so lot of I, awful fun. Or, or an awful fun. Um, or a lot of awful fun. There yeah. we go. There, there we go. go. Um, the smiling falafel. Um <laughs> Sorry, there's so many things in this book. Oh, um, the next, uh, if you are enjoying this book and if you enjoy what we do tonight, uh, you will certainly want to join us for the next Harry Pratchett novel, which we will be doing in just a couple of weeks. We're going to be doing The Truth. We're going to be giving the full legendarium treatment to Terry Pratchett's The Truth, another of the Discworld novels. Um, hopefully you'll you'll enjoy this enough that you'll come and join us for that. Oh. Because the cat has got Ken's tongue, we're going to be asking (laughs) Megan if she will take a stab at giving a little bit of a synopsis tonight. I may be helping her out a little bit. I Um, mean, I read the book, unlike Ken. (laughs) Oh, what? I read the book. I I read the entire book, unlike Ken. I didn't think we were going to go there, but as long as you have gone there. She sold me down the river. Megan, give it a shot. Okay. Uh, I don't feel bad for you now. Well, then I'm just going to let you go for it. All right. Make it up. All right. So this book takes place Wait, in... Wait, you want me to make it up? The, I no, don't you know. go ahead. I'll, I'll chime in. 
Children, children. I've literally You're given it wonderful. no thought in the last five minutes since you told me I was doing this. So you've given it more than me. Yay. All right. So this book takes place in the fictional town of Angpork mm-hmm. uh, in Discworld where a governess named Susan, who has a mystery parentage, is taking care of two kids who are sadly named Gawain and Twyla and <laughs> saves them from monsters with her magical poker. Um, meanwhile, you have the auditors who have enlisted the help of, um, the assassins with the capital A to kill off somebody very important for reason, nefarious reasons of their own. Um, and so the assassins choose Mr. Tea Time, who, le- who prefers to be called Mr. Teatme. I'm sorry, I'm too close to the microphone. Um, to... To kill off the hog father, who is this place's version of Father Christmas, um, on the eve of Hog's Watch. And so they choose Mr. Tea Time, who even freaks out the cut purses who um, who he hires, who to, he hires to work with him. So uh, one thing leads to another, and death ends up taking over for the hog father and visits uh, Susan at Twyla and Gawain's house, and Susan decides she's going to figure out what the crap is going on and figure it and, like, fix it. And meanwhile, the hog fa- or, uh, death as the hog father is running around delivering gifts and trying to be the hog father and uh, being as literal as possible um, <laughs> with always hilarious results. Man, I laughed a lot reading this book. You wouldn't know from the way I'm telling the story because... I'm not funny. Okay. <laughs> as long as Craig's laughing, that's all I care about. Um, chaos ensues. Chaos ensues. Yada yada yada. Susan <laughs> saves the day. That's that's fair. That's I'm fair. gonna stop. Yeah, that's Susan fair. saves the day. A cup purse becomes the new tooth fairy, and uh, everyone gets what they want for Hog's Watch, including the uh, what do you call the people at the end? I don't know, including Arnold with no legs, which I'm just so confused. Anyway, <laughs> go Todd. Well, done. Oh, Megan. sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, you y'all. know what? No, you've done you've done a fine job for your first recap ever. Where I, I think, wasn't allowed any preparation. I, I think other that than deserves reading. that deserves some applause. That deserves some applause. So nicely done. I accept I'm your sure applause. That our, I'm sure that our listeners are all giving significant amounts of applause. Oh, I hope you guys skipped I'm, over that whole thing. So, I'm proud of you. So, um, Craig is Craig is uh, Craig is trying to prompt us with things we should talk about. For those We're of you good, who good are man, unfamiliar Craig. with Terry Pratchett's work, um, Terry Pratchett conceived of a of a world where he could play satire on all things fantasy, uh, as well as all things reality, and he places it in a place called Discworld. Discworld is uh, a world that is suspended on the back of four elephants who are riding on the back of a giant tortoise as it makes its way ponderously through the universe. The laws of physics do not necessarily apply the way that they apply here. It is a world where magic has continued to be the primary method of making interesting things happen, but technology is slowly catching up. And when technology and magic intercede, um, hilarity often ensues. There are lots of things about Discworld that are similar to what we would see in our universe, which is where, which is how Terry Pratchett... Uh, unleashes his satirical pen in 
tremendous fervor. Um, but it's also a place where we get to explore some options and some thoughts that maybe it's easier to explore if we don't have to challenge our own assumptions, but we can challenge some mirror assumptions and really put them in the place that they belong. Um, I have a question. Sure. When you read these books, what time period-ish do you imagine? Because it sounds a little bit Victorian, but whenever I would picture Susan, I would picture like Marilyn from the Munsters. Okay. Like the 60s <laughs> where, you know, she's yeah. all the weird people and then you have like the one normal one. So one of the things... Quote unquote normal. Uh, sure. Um... The in, in the in the writing, in Terry Pratchett's writing, he doesn't he doesn't he isn't terribly specific, at least in this one. Um, I had the benefit um, as part of my experience with Terry Pratchett of having watched uh, two of the Discworld movie adaptations, um, both of which were pretty well done, um, pretty accurately done uh, uh, versus the books. One of them was The Hogfather um, and they're they're played in a in a little bit of a. Uh, maybe you could say a nondescript fantasy land. Um, doublets are not uncommon. Um, big puffy sleeve shirts are not uncommon. Uh, but you're also talking about, you know, um, uh, leather apron, 1700s kind of attire that sure. mixes into 1800s attire that mixes into even older attire for the wizards yeah. and newer attire for some of the other characters. It's very much a hodgepodge. Okay. Um, very much a, uh, uh, very much a, a combination of lots of things that we would see all around. Okay. Um, one of the things that I've always found interesting about the, about the novels is that he talks in dollars, but he writes from England. Um, uh -huh. and so oh, for yeah, me, yeah. for me, I, I, as I, as I read through that, I was kind of like, okay, we're, we're, we're mixing metaphors all over the place as we start this. It is not critical that you enter Discworld at book one. It can be valuable for some people um, to enter Discworld at book one, but it is not critical. And for those of you who have joined us on this podcast, if you were listening and you said all of a sudden to yourself, holy crap, they're talking about the Hogfather. That's like book 15 or 20 in the series. I better go back and read a few books along the way. Um, I'm sorry you waited so long to listen to the podcast. Uh, for those of you who stopped long enough to pull up a, a Wikipedia page and look at Discworld and see what you could find, you're probably up to speed. Um, yeah. the, this, the, this was the first Discworld novel that I had read and I did. How did you do? And me as well. I, yeah, I was, I did. Okay. Once I, I, I did look up ahead of time. I read kind of a little Wikipedia blurb of what Discworld was. Um, and you know, kind of get a basic <laughs> idea of the wackiness of the, the whole concept. And also, um, that it is a spoof on fantasy and some satire on J.R.R. Tolkien and other people. Tolkien, um, that helped me, that helped, that helped acclimate me a little bit more. Yes. Okay. It, Ken, how about you? It seems to be, um, not just Gerald or Tolkien. I, I, I realized that was probably the, uh, the motivation, but it, it, it very much kind of spoofs fantasy in general. It feels like this yes, does, um, th this was the first Discworld book I've read. I know, uh, our listeners have, have talked about us doing Discworld for, literally years now and and mm -hmm. i know it's come highly recommended from friends who have read fantasy and i've just never gotten into it i've never really gotten into terry pratchett but this was fun it honestly it took me a little bit a, a few of the pages to get used to what in the world i was reading yeah yeah it, um, it switches perspectives a lot well real fast and the fact that the book is literally one chapter yes is uh, one 290 page chapter <laughs> 
Um, which the only other time I've done that is in the wheel of time. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> so it was a little bit disquieting, but there, there are plenty of scene changes that break up the story that, that give you plenty of stopping places, which helped because I was like, I'm, I am not going to remember what's going on if I don't have somewhere I can stop. And so anyway, that's from, from purely from a reader standpoint, that's kind of what I thought the world itself was kind of fun once I got into it and yeah. <laughs> with one th- one thing we forgot to to mention in the recap is how without the Hogfather and things are reality starts things splintering. are manifesting you know unraveling yeah reality is unraveling and and manifestations um are, are things things are manifesting as as newly formed imps and fairies and and gods <laughs> I, I believe <laughs> oh gods we'll 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 get there we'll get there um i believe the 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 phrase that they used and i found it i found it interesting as they were as they were finally asking hex the computer that is made of a brain that was sitting in the middle of nowhere yes um <laughs> they uh the phrase that they used uh or that he, that hex used was with so much uh unanchored belief floating around sloshing around i think rid cully asked him sloshing yeah. around yeah. With so much with so much belief sloshing around that is unanchored, it's possible that older things that were believed in are going to start manifesting. And yeah. my goodness, the wizards at the Unseen University really need to be watched at what they right? say. <laughs> so let's 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 talk real quickly about some of the about some of the set pieces. Um, we have we have Susan's perspective that we were dealing with as we mm-hmm. moved through the book. We have Death's perspective. Uh, and, and uncle, uncle Harvey, I'm trying to remember. Is it Harvey? No, it's uncle oh, Albert, oh, Albert yeah, yeah, but he yeah, called Albert. himself uncle something or other. Anyway. Yeah. Um, and then we have, uh, we have tea time and his band that yeah. we switch to. And then every now and again, we switch to some other side characters. Of course we have the unseen university that is there. Uh, but we also have the constables and once in a while, the adjusters pop up and, uh, or the, the auditors. auditors. Yes. Me. The auditors. Yeah. Um, so which, when you found yourself moving through, did you find yourself saying, I really want to get back to this one? Oh yeah. Which one was it for you, Ken? Uh, it was Susan for me. I I really wanted to get back. Although death was so much fun. So funny. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Watching. Did, did you think of death as Jack Skellington? No, but now I I wish I had. I, I, the whole time I thought of, of Jack Skellington playing playing Santa Claus, Sandy Claus, you know, yeah. trying to save Christmas Town or whatever. I don't I, I don't actually know Nightmare Before Christmas. I don't actually like Nightmare See, and I was thinking Christmas, of death as but... Christopher Lee, basically. Like oh, a really crazy skinny Christopher Lee. I can see that. I uh, but yeah, I, I kind of kept picturing him kind of as Jack Skellington and and just the the literal innocence mm-hmm. that he has in trying to I'm going to do this because it needs to be done which he needs to do for a very good reason because if you don't believe in the hogs fa- in in the hog father then the sun doesn't come back up and you know and we got a whole big problem spoilers abound by the way we didn't say that at the very oh, beginning oh you know what yes. if anybody's listening to this podcast and they don't know that spoilers yeah, abound it's, it's us I mean, um, if, we're sorry have, have you met i, I feel like we us, specify but, when there aren't spoilers right yeah it seems like we do it seems like we do so but for a book like this i mean spoilers but anyway so uh, his his literal innocence though i mean he's he's out he's like okay everything is matter of fact and he takes every word so literally and i've got to do these because they're literal or because it says it's what i got to do but he doesn't know how to 
hopefully Craig's not listening. He doesn't know how to massage the meaning mm-hmm. between each each thing. Dang it. He was listening. <laughs> <laughs> so so anyway, yeah, Megan, how I, about you? For me, it, it helped to have kind of an anchor because you need I need somebody I can identify with a little bit who was I mean, she's not entirely human, but she's somewhat human. Um, so I'm able and I felt like with her, we were kind of getting the the structure to the story and everyone else was just fleshing out the story. Um, okay. Yeah. Like she she would give That's the it. explanations because we're reading about tea time and the foot pads and they're in some kind of tower and they're trying to unlock something. But it isn't until Susan gets there that we find out what the heck is going on. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And okay. so I, I was always grateful when we, I mean, everything else I really enjoyed, but it, it, it would get, it would come to some other random side character. It would take me a minute to figure out what is, you know, why are they eating boots in this restaurant? I, mean, <laughs> I understood the context there because there's, you know, it had been set up beforehand, but I'm like, well, okay. So we're diverting to this where I, I have another mental shift. So many mental shifts. <laughs> For me, um, as especially because this is my second, uh, my second exposure to the Hogfather, um, it was a little bit easier to make the and and because I've had a little bit more exposure to to the Discworld universe, yeah. um, I I kind of knew where I kind of knew where I was going with each one, and for me, the first half of the book was all about the Hogfather. It was all about mm-hmm. it was all about death playing Hogfather, and it and and it wasn't until I got to the point where um, Susan gets to the unseen university that it shifts then for me and then becomes all about Susan. Okay. Um, and those two journeys, they're, they're, they're a lot of fun because they mirror each other in a way. Um, we see the, we, at least for me, we see the hog father as he is fully in, uh, fully embraced this idea. We see death, uh, hog father as death or death as hog father. We see him fully embracing this idea that he knows he has to do this. Um, what is it that he said? If I had a first name, my middle name would be Duty. Uh-huh. Um, and, <laughs> which, and, I, and, which I flagged because he said that that means his name is something like Jonathan Duty Death or something like that. <laughs> he said Duty. <laughs> um, Cracked me up. That's, that's the thought that oh, went through no. my head as soon as that came out. <laughs> um, but but along with that, we also have um, Susan, who really is is more um, Susan is us. At, at least as I as I read this process, yeah. as I read through, yeah. Susan is us. Um, she is the one who is not confused. She is not. Um, she's not bound by the rules. She is. She is above the story. She is above all of the other things going but on. But she is at this sufficiently world. magical that she can blend in seamlessly into this world. She has a foot in both worlds. Yeah. Um, and she does a. And and so as a result, she is the one that can that can perceive what needs to be seen. Um, Which makes of, her so fun, by the way. That's that is the nature of her. The fun of her in this book. So one of the things that was that at least for me was interesting about the way that these two characters are are portrayed, um, Susan and Death. Um, Susan, of course, being Death's granddaughter, mm-hmm. um, and Death's granddaughter because Death adopted a daughter, and then the adopted daughter has a child, and then that child is and the and the parents with, death, with Death's apprentice trying so hard <laughs> to keep Susan having a normal Try. childhood, but what can you do? When death is your grandpa, try, you know, try it, to track that genealogy. <laughs> and so yeah. early in her life, she has all these exposures and she and she starts to realize that she wants to be normal and she has to work so hard to be normal. Yeah. Um, both she and death, um, as as they are written by Terry Pratchett, at least for me, 
have a tremendous amount of innocence mm -hmm. and literalness at the way that they approach things. Susan understands how it's supposed to be, but also sees everything from the position of the literal nature, children, of death, of stories, of all of those kinds of things. Um, the, the very beginning of the book, um, I, in fact, I remember when, when we, we decided to get my wife, as a little bit of a tangent, we decided to get my wife, convinced my wife to watch the movie with us. Uh, with me and my children. Wait, there's a movie of this book? Yeah. There is a movie of this right, book, and it is, it is worth watching. Okay. It is not exactly the same, but it's, it's close enough. Um, but we, uh, we convinced my wife to watch it, and in the first probably five minutes as Susan grabs onto a monster from under the bed and beats it senseless <laughs> yeah. with the poker. That's great, right? And, and carries it out, and she says, there's really monsters under the bed. Yes, there's really monsters under the bed. She can see them and nobody else can except the children. Yes. I'm out of here. <laughs> she just left and the rest of us sat down eating yeah. popcorn. And she would come down and find out why we were laughing. We got to the end and she was kind of with us watching it. She's like, sure. this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. But she stayed. And can she I just say, it. though, like I love that um, Twyla's reaction to meeting death. She sees him and the first thing she says is, you know that Susan has a poker for monsters, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, not at all concerned. She's like, right. obviously, you're not supposed to be here. So, later, Gator. Yeah. Just kidding. That's her last name. Twyla Gator and Gawain Gator. Man, those parents hate those children. Right? Right? It's just it's. Just I like brutal. that they acknowledge that in the book. You know, one of the, one of the characters that we didn't uh, talk about was Death of Rats. Oh, yeah. Uh, and the Raven. Yeah. Um, you didn't get a kick out of that? I, I felt like I was missing something there. That was the one thing where I'm like, are these recurring characters? Because I, I didn't really, uh, I didn't know what was going on there. Yeah. Um, one, of, one of the things that um, has, has been interesting to me about Terry Pratchett's writing is that the more background you have in mythological systems, the more uh, some of the references make lots and lots of sense. Okay. Um, the Ravens, for instance, are Odin's messengers. And they're, wherever they go, they are bringing information to, um, to earthlings, but they are also carrying information back to Odin about what's going on on, the, uh, on Midgard. Um, and so as this raven, who seems to know everything but is yeah. obsessed with eyeballs, is flying all over the place, <laughs> yeah. he keeps trying to, he keeps trying to <laughs> guide funny. Susan to the next place where she's getting the information. While I'm not sure that Terry Pratchett is portraying the Raven necessarily as an omniscient kind of a character who's beneficent and trying to do all of these things for good reasons, it is certainly a very useful uh, literary device that allows us to move through here. And again, sure. yeah. um, the more mythical stuff that you know that's, that, that you are familiar with, the more you see things in this book that become, uh, that become even, even, even sillier and in some ways more endearing. Um, let me ask a different, let me ask another question. Um, of all of the scenes in the book, were there any that, that made you stop and say, okay, I'm going to remember this one and use, and, and share this with people about how funny this book is for me. Any, which ones did you find? The first one I can think of is the, uh, the scene where he is at, I can't remember what the village, what the store is that Crumley's? he's at. Crumley's where he. <laughs> He takes over for fake Santa. He, he, uh, uh, Megan, Megan and Todd are both in a production of Elf right now. <laughs> and, so, Santa. Ho, ho, ho. and so they'll, they'll understand when I say he, he, he basically walks up to Santa and says, you smell like beef and cheese. You're not the real Santa and pushes him out of the way and takes over. 
and starts <gasps> starts to be sad and just starts granting their wishes. It's like, oh, you want this? Here it is. You want this sword and a, a box of, of that, knights and a big castle? An actual Here sword. They are. That was my, that was one of the ones that I, I, I highlighted all three pages of oh, that man. scene. You that can't give her a sword. It's educational. What if she cuts herself? She will have learned a she valuable lesson. <laughs> oh my gosh! Uh, his that, uh, his yeah. practical, his practical, matter-of-fact sensibility about the way of things just—it's it, it, embodied right there. You know, it's like that's the, that's a good lesson to learn. A very literal, a very, very literal, literal interpretation. Lesson. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Like, how about you? I uh, just one of the. I love the whole concept of like you. You make up a. Oh well, I've always wondered what happens to my socks when I I lose socks all the time. What if there was a goblin that like ate your socks and then they hear this bell, and they go and they check in the laundry and there's this little elephant dude. And there's the demon eating his socks. Eating the, the socks. sock eating demon. How many tentacles do you think he'd have? Oh, lots of them, I would imagine. <laughs> well, I mean, describing them, I'm just oh no, stop, stop. Why are you stop talking? It's so horrible. And seriously, and I started thinking, I started trying to imagine what sort of things I would come up with. I mean, Murphy's Law would be a, a full-on Oh, yeah. There would be being. a demon called Murphy. Yeah. Who just does things. Absolutely. The one, the Murphy one and Law. The, they, they can be a duo. The, the, the demon of the fairy of lost hair or whatever that's pulling Yeah, you. the hair lost fairy. I'm like, that one, I wish he would go away. And the Veruca From gnome. me right now. <laughs> Unfortunately, the Veruca gnome and I know each other a little too well right now. That's well, more information. I, I, really, I really like the Oh God. <laughs> the the God God of of he made me so happy the whole time, <laughs> and that he they cure him with a hangover. Like it's the, the very last drop in uh, the very last bottle that all of a sudden becomes this miracle cure. The the the, the phrase that the that Rid Cully had said his father had given him three very specific instructions. All yeah. three of them were things that he just completely ignored. And the and the old God of Hangover says, "I'll try it. <laughs> it might kill you. That might be okay. That might be okay." <laughs> Um, having, they having call never... me the O-God because that's what people say that's when they what... have a hangover. That's right. The O-God um, of hangover. Having never had a hangover myself, uh, at least not one that was induced by alcohol, I'm not sure that I, can, uh, that I can say what that feels like, but having had many mornings when I woke up and felt as if I was having a hangover, I kind of have some sympathy. Um, and the sad thing is this entire last couple of minutes will be painfully apparent that none of us have ever drunk or had hangovers. Yep, I'm sure. I'm sure that many of our listeners are like, you have no idea. It'll be a lot. <laughs> it'll be a, it'll be parallel to our discussions about women. So I have to say <laughs> that that um, both of you have hit upon a couple of my a couple of my favorite scenes. Um, uh, there are and there are little vignettes that pop up that in themselves are absolutely hilarious. Mm -hmm. um, the end of the one where they find the bath that was said, please don't you know do not open this under any circumstances don't open it. So of course it must be open. Yes. And then he says please. Don't ever turn on that that spigot that says "Old Faithful" ever, um, because <laughs> yeah. of course we just did. Yeah, um, you know diff the, these little vignettes that are all through there that that serve to um, to flesh out the the literalness or the or the whimsicalness or the the absolute um, uh, inability to stop themselves. Whatever whatever uh, particular fatal flaw or if you was if you will literary device that is going to be the the crux of this character, um, he uses these these vignettes beautifully to paint what those pieces are. Um, for me, one of them, and it was and it was also a fascinating place where 
I think Terry Pratchett does a lot of work with with what I think is kind of his his entire premise, uh, and I could be totally wrong, but also with um, with a very level three piece of this book. Uh, hard to believe that I would go to level three stuff in this book, but actually, I found some things. Yeah, there's lots of stuff. Um, for me, it was the um, Good King Wenceslas scene. Right. Um, so fast. You know, at first I was at the the first one where they where where they do the little match girl and they save her life. That was cute. Um, and I said to myself, "Aw." Um, and I love the angels who show up a little bit too late. And I'm like, what? What? <laughs> and Albert scares them away. Pounds <laughs> <laughs> on them until angels. they leave. Um, I, I like when Death says, "You mean they arrive just in the nick of time?" No, more about just after the nick of time. <laughs> <laughs> well, why would they do that? <laughs> um, Death so innocent and so literal. Yeah. Um and and looking at and when I and when they said that they saw this man gathering wood, I said to myself, Oh no, here yep. we go. Yep. <laughs> and sure enough, good King Wenceslas shows up, but he's a he's a dick. I was gonna say, go ahead and say it. And his his page is even worse. And what is even more funny to me, at least as I was reading through that, is the old man saying, I've got some lovely beans. I've got some potatoes that the rats haven't quite really eaten. They've yeah. just nibbled on them a bit. You're welcome to some of those. Here's a, here is the character who is the most generous character in that story. That, <laughs> <laughs> oh no, some of them know that I was making fun of the Brummies. Um, and if we've got anybody listening in Birmingham, I love you. Um, but we've we've got our we, we've got the most generous character who is the most destitute character. Mm-hmm. We've got the most irreverent and inappropriate characters who are the ones that are rich. And he uses this as that backdrop to talk a little bit about, now, wait a minute. What is this? What is this fairness thing? What is actual generosity? Yeah. What does it mean? Um, and, and what is the spirit of hogs watch? Yeah. Um, and of course, for all of us, we might say, what is the spirit of Christmas? Is it doing something once during this period of time so that you don't have to feel guilty so that you can feel good about yourself? Or is it doing something that really makes a difference in that person's life and understanding where they're coming from and respecting where they're at and doing something longer term, making a difference on a long term? Right. Um, I really, I, I really found that um, that particular story hit me, uh, or that particular vignette um, for me was was critical. It was pivotal when I when I first encountered it. It was pivotal again. Um, still funny, still very very funny. Um, but positioned so beautifully to really dig at the issue of of what does it mean to be a generous human being? What does it mean? What is what is all of this stuff that we're about? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You guys said that you found some level three stuff that that was in there as well. What what kinds of things did you find that you wanted to talk about? Me? Oh, okay. Um, his uh, it's right in the same same area talking about uh, what good. It, well, and, and this is the quote: "What good is a God who gives you everything you want?" That's, and I think that was right before we they talked about all of the uh, uh, the nature of you know generosity and all of that. But uh, where he was he was talking about Albert was was telling you can't just give everything they ask for. You can't just give them everything they want because that's not the way that society works. And and he also he also points out that. If you, what I, I got to find the, 
I got to find the exact quote, but it, basically he points out that if you if you just give them toast and jam, then they're not going to work for. If you just give them what they want, they're not going to work for what they what they want. They're basically, not gonna, they're you know, not going to change. They're not going to change. That's exactly what it is. And um, trying to look through the trying to look through the page as I'm talking, and it's it's very distracting. I didn't write it down in my notes, but uh, but yeah, basically that's that's it. I mean, it a whole three page conversation about basically the nature of helping somebody by just giving them something or teaching them how to get for themselves. Yeah. Uh, that, that sort of thing. The whole, the whole, uh, give a man a fish and he feed him for a day, teach him how to fish and you feed him for a lifetime type thing, okay. which, which death doesn't understand in the literal, innocent, naive sense of death is I've got the ability. I'll just give them things. Yes. It doesn't quite work that way. Death. Susan talks about that. Um, when she's talking to, uh, uh, Bilibus, when she says, um, if if death want if you wanted to cure world hunger, what would you do? And he says, well, I suppose you'd find arable land and you'd teach people how to sow and plant and you'd teach them the importance of taking care of crops. She said, exactly. You would do all of these things because you think like a human being. She said, but death doesn't. He yeah. would just give everybody a really good meal and then yeah. be done and move on and not realize that he he solved world hunger in that moment but that the problem that causes world hunger is much bigger than that. And fascinating kind of a way of having a conversation about what is it that we do? How do we approach some of these problems? Do we approach them this way? How yeah. many of us approach them this way? Are we really doing any good? Fascinating. Well, even going to the point where um, death chases out King Wenceslas and Albert runs after him and says, hey, if you tomorrow start thinking that you're going to come back and punish this guy because you feel embarrassed, that would be a really, really bad decision. Like he's he's already thinking in the future too. How is this man going to react to this situation? Right. Oh, I better make sure that this peasant doesn't get creamed in yeah. the long run. Here's here's the quote. It's the hope that's important. Big part of belief. Hope. Give people jam today, and they'll just sit and eat it. Jam tomorrow. Now that'll keep them going forever. Yeah. Or jam go. tomorrow. Now that'll keep them going forever. That's there you go. Megan, how about you? Um. One thing that kind of resonated with me is the idea that who you are is based on what other think people think you should be. Okay. Um, because Susan keeps talking about how, like, she goes to death's realm and everything is dark and everything is like there's color, but it's all very bleak, very dark colors because that's what people assume that where death would live. That's what that looks like. Um, or like in the in the land of the children's drawing, everything is what children assume, you know, oh, well, obviously water is blue and trees are green and there are apples in all of the trees. Um, but she, at the end, she taught, you know, because you have this whole time, you have um, death trying to be the hog father. And it, it just sounds like he's, I mean, he's so excited to be doing something where people are excited to see him. Yes. And he just, he wants to try something different. And he doesn't want to have to do the same old things he's always been doing. Um, and then Susan, she talks with the bogeyman towards the end. And he's he's talking about how, you know, back in the good old days, um, it was all very straightforward. And then things started to change. And, and Susan, it, there's a quote that says, um, bogeymen weren't bright. The moment of existential uncertainty 
probably took a lot longer in their heads when brain, where the brain cells bounced so very slowly from one side of the skull to, to another. <laughs> but granddad had thought like that. You hung around with humans long enough and you stopped being what they imagined you to be and wanted to become something of your own. Um, and it, it's just interesting. I read a quote on um, ugh, Instagram the other day that just really hit me. Um, it says, wanting to be liked means being a supporting character in your own life using the cues of actors around you to determine your next line rather than your own script. It means that your self-worth will always be tied to what someone else thinks about you forever out of your control. And I, I think like, it just sounds like death. He got so excited about this opportunity to get to fill in for the Hogfather. First of all, because he realizes how necessary it was, but also so that he could have a little bit more control over his own identity and who he is. Because he is death. He has a very important job. But most of the time we think of death as the villain and it was, you know, he has his final showdown with tea time and tea time's like, you know, when death's, when you're fighting with death, you're always the hero or death is always the villain. And I'm like, that's, that's sad because death is a really important and necessary part of life. And he performs a very necessary function and yet everybody hates him and they're afraid to see him and they see him coming. It's like, ah, oh, crap, you know, um, so I just love this idea that death is trying and Susan also like she has some very weird, you know, death-ish family traits. But, <laughs> and she wants so much to be normal. She wants to be like other people and be able to exist in this world. And she doesn't want to have to be, you know, her, she's like a lady or a duchess or something. And she doesn't want to have to, like, she wants to define who she is. Yes. Yeah. So I just, that, that really, like, just reading through this, that, that hit me a lot when that would come. And the, oh God, who doesn't want to be the God of, of hangovers. of hangovers, he wants to be something else, and so hope. I, I, I'm just sad that it never really says whether you know he stays around with Violet at the end. <laughs> Susan's like, well, maybe just her believing in him will be enough. I hope it was. I hope it's enough. Something tells me that Terry Pratchett would say, "It doesn't matter what you think; it matters what she thinks." Uh, ah, <laughs> I like that. Yeah, can I, I could be wrong. Can I give you one more? Sure, because uh, this is something that we always tell our kids when they come and they say they don't want something, they want to do something else or whatever. It's like, okay, what's your solution? We always ask them, what's their solution? Then we, they inevitably say, I don't know. And we say, well, uh, lodging a complaint without providing a solution is just whining. Yeah. Okay. You're not helping. You're just whining. And, and Susan mentions it in here when she's talking about how miserable the hog, not the hog fathers, uh, death's, millions of years of being death must have been. And she says, and Susan was bright enough to know that the phrase someone ought to do something mm -hmm. was not by itself a helpful one. No. And especially in this day and age, people, oh, everybody, we have to do something. Great. What? What should we do? I know. I, I like uh, that. There's, there's another quote and uh, I can find it. But, oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Keep going. Oh, no. I, well, further in, people who used it never added the writer and that someone is me. That's Thank right. Thank you. That's, that's what I was the say. one. That's, yeah. that's what I always keep trying to tell my kids. But someone ought to do something right now, else the whole pool of someone of someone's consisted of her and no one else. So she realizes someone should do something. Someone should be me. Got to go out and do it. And yeah. it's a lesson that I keep trying to drill into my kids because nobody. It, it, it's a dying philosophy that someone should do something. What should I do? Makes me crazy what on Facebook whenever something goes wrong in the world because. The world is super messed up, but it makes me like they just post this thing like, I'm so outraged. I can't believe this. Why is this still happening? And then it just ends. And I'm like, 
well, why aren't we coming up with solutions? Yeah. Like, why aren't we saying, this is what I can do to prevent this from happening in sure. my sphere of influence? And, uh, you know, and one of the things that, that I think is, um, is powerful about the way that, that satire works is it holds a mirror up to us mm -hmm. and it says, let's make sure that you see your own contradictions as clearly as possible. One of yeah. them that I found, um, I, I actually want to talk to two of those really quickly, if I may, sure. um, and, and respond a little bit, um, to the, to the statement about, um, death. He, they, they, I can't remember whether it's death or it's Susan. I think it's Susan comes to the conclusion that, that only very seldom is death welcomed when he's yeah. deaf. Yeah. And most of the time that is following a period of tragedy and suffering. Um, and just yesterday, I attended a funeral uh, of a of a friend, and had an opportunity to and and she had been uh, struggling with cancer for quite some time, and uh, had lived a wonderful life. And um, the funeral that we attended was one that was more a celebration of her life and of the wonderful things that she had done, and far less uh, a feeling of bereavement and and of being bereft. Uh, by those who were left behind and, and being um, robbed of the opportunity to truly enjoy their lives together. Um, yes, she was a little bit older. She was into her 70s. Um, but, you know, any, any, any longer today, 70s are, are the new 50s, you know, yeah. some people mm -hmm. would say. And so, you know, if you're, if you're in your 70s, it used to be that you would lived a ripe old age. And now we're getting to the point where we say, well, you know, it's the 80s. No, it's the 90s that is becoming a ripe old age. Um, and so it would be very easy for people to say, yeah, but she had so much life left. Um, fascinatingly, um, she welcomed that transition. Um, and that's how she saw it was a transition. And, and I find that um, as, as I'm looking at this question, how do I approach the idea of my own mortality? How do I approach the question of my own uh, of my own incompleteness, of the fact that this is a temporary a temporary state, um, that I can only live for so long, and that in the process of living for so long, I can only accumulate so many things, I can only do so many, I can only make so many, uh, I can only make so many decisions in my in my life that will turn out for me in a particular way. And we don't know what the end date is going to be. We really don't. Yeah. Um, you know, a, a, a lifetimer showing up, yeah. telling us how much time we've got left, and. We don't have any way of magically resetting those. I, I know how. September 13th, 2046. Um, I, took, I took a quiz online. Oh, well. And we all know that online quizzes tell you everything you need uh -huh. to know. Um, so I, I, I have it on my calendar. <laughs> I'll, At least I'll, it's after my birthday. I'll be, oh. sure to make, I'll be sure to keep that day open. And a day seven days later so that we can make sure we're there for the funeral. Exactly. Um, but, the, you know, it's, it's interesting. As, as I was going through these two experiences... Um, one where the, the idea of death and, and of the role that death plays of being one that is dreaded and feared and, and, and just absolutely, uh, maligned mm -hmm. and another where an individual has a tremendous insight of, uh, a, a perspective of wisdom and says, nope, you know, it's just a part of what we go through and we'll, it, it will embrace it and we'll meet it head on and we'll share this opportunity. Fascinating kind of a deal. Um, the other one for me that was and, and maybe I'm talking too much. And if any of my listener, if, if any uh, of our listeners are thinking, Todd, you need to shut your mouth. Give me a couple of seconds. We'll, and we'll, be, we'll done. be singing row, row, row your boat soon in, enough. In <laughs> fairness, we, we piled on quite a bundle of them. So it's your turn. Yeah. 
enjoy. The the one that really caught me um, was when they started talking about the fact that people make things up to believe in all yes. the time. Yeah. It's seeded very early in the book. Um, Page 43 in my book, by the way. Uh, I, I might have written it down. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I have to confess, um, this time I was listening to the Audible and not to the narration of the uh, of the Amazon book, of the Kindle mm -hmm. book, because there was no narration on the Kindle book. And so... I tried to read the. I tried to read, and I was going through the first hundred pages, and then I realized I was never going to be able to get all the way through it, and I didn't want to come in without being through because I didn't want to suffer the fate that Ken has suffered. Right. Um, I'm sorry. So I. So I had to get. So I had to finally get my subscription to Audible. I have. I, I have avoided it. it all this time by getting the the audio narrations for Kindle, and now I uh -huh. finally have hit the point. I just. I just got my narration. So anyway. Uh, so, as, but as a result, they don't hook up, so I can't mark things quite as easily oh, as I used okay. to be able to. Right. That's why I'm kind of flying loose and, and blind on this one. Um, but yeah, the 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 moment where, and it's a, if I remember correctly, it's a conversation between Albert and Death. Um, very early yeah. on in Death, as he's trying to figure out how to be the Hog Father, and um, this this idea that um, that that things were going to happen anyway. Uh, the sun was going to come up anyway. Man lit fire at a particular time and, and killed an animal at a particular time and thought the killing of the animal and the lighting of the fire was what caused all of the stuff to start moving around and gave the sun the, inc the, the indication that it was supposed to start coming back up. It was going to happen anyway. But people build all these things around it. And then those things become more important than the actual solution or the actual, the actual real uh, event that had ha that had happened so long in the past because because people forgot mm -hmm. um we are very good uh as as creatures of creating our own myths of giving meaning to things as they happen um i had a chance to read a, a piece by um bf skinner uh talking about Oy. the uh, talking about the importance of myth um and the fact that the fact that psychology uh, or science was not necessarily going to save us from ourselves. Um, science could give us information, but myths tell us what is good and bad in the world. Oh. Um, and as I as I was reading this this piece and 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 thinking about all the things that they were talking about and how things were different and you know and, and eventually we get to the point where we find out really where all of this came from in the yeah. very beginning. Why the auditors wanted the Hog Father gone for crying mm -hmm. out loud! Right. But the, but the myths that have built, been built up around it gave a, a certain meaning and a certain purpose and a certain predictability to the world. It helped parents inspire their children to be good. It helped people have a reason to be generous when they might otherwise not be so. And it helped people try and find a sense of commonality. Now, granted... Terry Pritchett's mm -hmm. probably drawing, throwing a lot of arrows right now at Christmas, Christmas time, the way that Christmas developed, and the fact that Christians all over the world are celebrating a holiday that is actually a very pagan holiday uh, that has nothing <laughs> at all to yeah. do with the birth of Christ and all of these kinds of things. But they have been bound together in these different religious traditions mm -hmm. and bring to the world, at least for a short period of time, something really important. I think Terry Pratchett's looking at it and saying, "That's great. I'm glad you. I'm glad you're thinking that. But why are you limiting it to these 12 days? 
Why are you limiting it to one fortnight where you're actually going to be kind and gracious and human to each other? Mm-hmm. Why don't you just be human to each other all the time, you dingbats? Yeah. Um, and and I, for me, that was one of my favorite uh, level three moments throughout this whole thing. And and then after he introduces it, he weaves it through all of the rest of those experiences, yeah. getting to the end where you say, you know what? Yeah, this is exactly why. This is exactly why. I think compounding onto that, it also um, speaks a lot to uh, small convictions leading to larger convictions. I think that's great. That's a great insight, Ken. Uh, um, mainly in the sense that if you if you can believe in these smaller myths, believe in uh, the Hogfather, believe in the Tooth Fairy, believe in these, it, it's like a gateway to believing in something bigger, like like, like all, logic all people and should mercy. have. Yeah, like all people should have the opportunity to succeed. Like, uh, all people should have fairness, all people, you know, that sort of thing. Okay. Yeah. I was thinking about that too, where, um, you know, he, he points out that things like mercy and fairness and those kind of things are fantasy. And I thought about, it, I'm like, oh, that's sad that it's very true. <laughs> Cause I, like, I'm a person, I very much want life to be fair. Yeah. I, if this is going to happen, you know, people are like, oh, I can't wait to meet the guy that you're going to marry because you're so great and you've waited all this time. And I'm like, can't he just be a regular person? Like, don't don't heap all of this on him. But like, (laughs) you know, or like, like, you know, if I buy so many gifts for people at Christmas, I know I'm not going to get the same amount of gifts back and I shouldn't have to expect that. But, you know, like there there are things in life that are not going to be fair. I've lost three jobs. Like, that's not fair. Other people have had like the same job for forever or, you know. Just or somebody else gets promoted as soon as that, you know, it's just life isn't going to be fair, but it has to be okay. Like, it's fine. That's the lesson that you have to learn. Like, it's not going to be fair if you're going to, you know, if you're trying to make everything come up equal all the time, you're just going to be disappointed and you're just going to be mad about it. Yeah. And that's not the way, that's not the way to live a happy life. When death and Albert. Joe would have to work really hard on you. When death and Albert are having the conversation about Albert's hogs watch memory mm-hmm. when he oh, really wanted yeah. that he really wanted that yeah. toy that horse yeah and it was bought and he knew that it wasn't bought for him and he went home and he had and then uh in my reading the the guy who was reading it starts to get a little choked up and he says my dad and my father gave me a small little wooden uh wooden horse that he had made that himself he, yeah that he'd and he said himself. and that would it was all the better because of that and he said no it was <laughs> stupid <laughs> Exactly. No, it's still dumb. But I love that he, like, as an adult, he has the perspective to be like, but if I had gotten that rocking horse, my dad would have sold it. Or, like, something yeah, terrible would have happened. Would have like, it, for a few it wouldn't points. have worked yeah. out well anyway. Yeah. The, and, 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 then, and then they have this conversation. So the, the rich just keep getting more things and the poor don't have anything at all. And, and, and they have to be happy about it. And they have to deal with it, which, which was where Ken's piece comes in. You know, give him jam right. for today. They eat, but give them the hope for jam in the future. That'll keep them going. Exactly. Fascinating stuff. What'd you think about the end? I thought, yeah, it, was fan- I thought it was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I thought when Susan did that Ken thing. Still, Ken still doesn't know how the book ends because oh, Megan I, wouldn't tell him. I, I kind and of, I'm not going to tell him either. I kind of know. Susan, Susan I told does him most something, of it. And I'm sure it involves the poker. <laughs> <laughs> Because it's that funny because it's Because that was fantastic. <laughs> Susan and her poker can fix all ills, you know? Yeah. My, so. my, and you know, 
Okay, so knowing how the knowing how things ended, I paid a little more attention to things along the way. Oh, and the dinner party at the very beginning, where she's where where Susan is standing there, and one of the dinner party guests says, "Oh, huh, I should have thought of that bending the poker. What a great idea!" And I'm like, <laughs> "Oh, you have no idea. I'm I'm stunned. I'm stunned. Craig didn't catch that one." Uh, so anyway, um, Megan, what did you think of the ending since you read it? I read it. I finished it today and I was re-listening. I was trying to finish the last chapter a second time whilst I was driving up here. And uh, I, uh, I I, continue to be distracted by the fact that it, it just switches point of view so often. And it, it had like four different endings, which was a little bit. I love, love, love that Banjo is the new tooth fairy. Yeah. <laughs> it makes me so happy. Banjo. Banjo. Banjo cracks me up. He's so funny. He's um, so sweet. He's so ben, dumb. I, I picture Banjo as Benny from Benny. No, George. Yeah, yeah, Benny. Benny from Mice and Men. Uh huh. Okay, I can see that. Yes. Oh. <laughs> right? Okay, I'm distracted. Except um, that he's a except that he's a cut person, a murderer ahead of time. Right. Um, but he only because his brother tells tell him, him to, to do. Yeah. I, I oh, love. I, I love his brother's his his brother's re- recount of his mom's final words to take care of Benny. When in what take care of the dumb yeah, one, in, the dummy. In in reality, what she said is take care of the dummy. That's <laughs> so brutal. And I I really enjoy that all of the uh all of the cut purses are murdered by their own nightmares. Like they're they're basically gotten rid of by the like they did themselves in because of fear. And I really 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 appreciate Which takes us back to sphere that Susan oh, yeah. that Susan got to be the hero. Like I like that she's the one that takes care of tea time. Yeah. Um, cause I, I mean, it, it's set up so that it could be so many ways, but Susan, Susan is kind of set up to be the hero and it, it irks me someday. I will tell you about my rant of how, um, the movie Disney's enchanted ends wrong. Someday I will tell you about that. But, um, Ooh, okay. I really, I really like it. It irks me when it's set up to have like this girl is kind of the hero, but the guy ends up saving the day anyway. Okay. I, I could point out several examples, but I don't want to spoiler other things for you guys. Um, we'll talk about that another day. Yeah, then. we could talk about right. that another day. I'm I, I could do I could do a YouTube essay on this. Um, Maybe you should. Done. Maybe done. You that should. is that is done. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, but I I just really appreciated that she got to be that because it could have very like death could have very easily done it, but at the same time death throughout just you know needed Susan to like you know well this is a human thing so you need to like this is a human thing you have to save the hog father you need like. He, I don't know if he was like trying to encourage her to be her best self or if he like really was supposed to stay out of it. But I, I just appreciated that death remained death. He wasn't making death happen. I don't know, death I don't know is, how to say that coherently. I'm so sorry, everybody. Death is something that comes for us all. Yes. Um, and tea times, tea times, I refuse to call him Teatime. Teatime. Whatever. Yeah, no. Um, I'm not going to do that. He's always ways. tea time. Um, uh, and I like the fact that at one point he was called Teacup. Teacup, right. Um, <laughs> tea Time uh, is right in the sense that whoever fights death is the hero. And so I find it fascinating that as soon as he says that, it sets up the situation where, oh, you won't fight death then. Yeah. You will fight Susan. And everybody knows, because Banjo says it over and over again, and so did Medium Dave. So did all of the cup <laughs> Medium oh, Dave. Yeah. We were told by our mom not to hurt girls. Yeah. 
And so we take this, we throw it together, and guess what? It works to Susan's favor. We know what Susan does with monsters. Yes, with that poker. I didn't really get the the ending, like the very last page where it's all about the uh, the beggars. I didn't really get that, but uh, I, I I overall I really enjoyed this book, and I thought the ending was satisfactory. Yeah, I didn't get it either. <laughs> Read it, Ken. I'll go finish it. Uh, read a few more Discworld novels and see if you come back to come to the same conclusion. Yeah. Um, the here's here's so I, I guess as we're as we're finishing this off, um, we're we're saying yes, we like this book as a, a you know, and, and we f- we feel that this one's a, worth the time. And oh, I didn't yeah. I didn't feel lost jumping into the like once I knew what Discworld was, I didn't feel lost jumping into a novel in the middle of the or at the end of the series no okay. definitely i and having not read any of the other books i didn't feel like i needed any anything going into this one yeah. at all yeah once i got my bearing on where where we were going there's something to be said for a book that can pull you in in the first 15 pages or so and give you enough perspective in those first few pages that even if you've not visited the world before you feel comfortable there um there are a lot of there are a lot of fantasy especially some high fantasy you can't do that with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you need you 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 need to have those first fifteen pages really give you a a, a primer on what you're going to be experiencing, or you have to have read all the stuff ahead of time because they're tough. Um, Discworld is not quite so much because it's not so much about the a fantasy as it is about the satire. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so as long as you're open to the satire, and as long as you find satire enjoyable, these are fun books. If you are the kind of person who doesn't like having that mirror held up to you so that you have to look at your own contradictions that you live with, this is probably not going to be a great book for you. Yeah. He, one last thing that, this will probably be my final thought, but even through all of the, the satire and all of the, the level three stuff, he still finds a moment to throw in some plausibility into fantasy when he talks about uh, there's a special congruent reality created for the hogs, father. Normal rules have to be suspended. How else could anything, or could anyone get around the entire world in one night? I'm like, which has always been the the chief yeah. argument about Santa Claus. Well, there can't be a Santa Claus. How could you deliver all the presents in one? Blah blah blah. Not what? everyone believes in Christmas. Either. You know what? Just let it go, okay? Just let it be a myth. Let it be something that also one night can be twenty four hours if you're chasing the you know the sun going down. But there you go. And let's be honest. I have so many reasons. Um, <laughs> if you're if you are uh, some kind of an incarnation of immortality and you have the ability to to live in between the moments. <laughs> Um, I think one of the last things that I highlighted on my on my writing version, uh, my written version, uh, was that any individual any individual moment can be a billion meaningful moments, um, something like that. Um, I I found that very enjoyable. It was great. We yes. should read the incarnations of immortality. So I wasn't going to say anything about that on this podcast. But you just um, said incarnations I was gonna, of immortality. I, I did. I used the term, and I caught myself saying it as soon as I said it. I should have should be a little more careful. Um, those are, um, for those of you that have not read the incarnations of immortality, those are some Piers Anthony, um, novels. Um, I just raised my hand. There's, uh, and, and Piers Anthony and, uh, Terry Pratchett contemporaries, <laughs> um, writing very different kinds of styles, but read, writing some very interesting, uh, parallel kinds of stories. Uh, maybe we'll get a chance to look at that over the next year. Um, maybe not. We'll see how the year unfolds. We're not making any big predictions at this point in time. Um, last thoughts, go read this, make, um, make it, a, make it a Christmas read. So oh yeah, I like that. Yeah. I was going to say, you know, if you don't have time to read the book before Christmas, find the, find the movie, 
the movie does it. The movie does a pretty decent job of giving it some uh, of giving it a good treatment. But yeah, you yeah. know what? It's a great it's a great fun book to read yeah. during the holiday season. Yeah. yeah, as long as you're willing to have that mirror held up to you, and you have to look at your own contradictions. Right. I will say, it's if you're reading it for the first time, it may help to actually read the book because um, there are a ton of footnotes, and they are hysterical. <laughs> yes, but it, it does feel kind of wandery if you're listening to the audiobook and you're like, "Why are they going off on this random tangent?" That actually turns out it's a footnote, and you could skip if you wanted to, but you don't want to. No, because they are very, very They're funny. So funny. They are. They funny. are very, very funny. Um, and they continue to weave throughout. Now, that is something that as you continue to read Discworld, you will come across again because these footnotes interweave throughout the rest of the Discworld oh. story. Oh. So, yeah, when you start to look at those, they really are a piece that are interesting. My final thought, um, you know, as we've, as we've shared these, um, something kind of interesting that I found as I was researching um, this particular book. Um, this was the one where Terry Pratchett turned a little bit darker than he had on any of his previous Discworld adventures. Oh. And this was where he felt that he should be recognized as one of the uh, top satirists of British literature. I don't know if he was being satirical when he said it. With that, uh, we will wish you good night. Uh, we thank you very much for listening to us. Uh, tune in next time when Ken tries to get his tongue back from that cat. And happy Hogs Watch. Is it time for a good sing song? Who knows? Row, row, row your boat. Row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. Oh, merrily, 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 merrily. Life, life is but a dream. Yeah. Hooray!